0: Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage, Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the U.S.S. Enterprise, Commander Benjamin Sisko the Federation Starfleet Deep Space Nine. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm one of those guys. I'm Ben Harrison.
1: I'm Adam Pranica.
0: Good afternoon Adam or morning if you're listening to this the second it comes out
1: all right. how many midnight friends of DeSoto do we have I wonder who yeah. are who are the Sunday night session
0: there are, I, I know that uh, I know that plavim one time told me that he stays up all night and listens at like 3 am his time when the new episode comes out. Wow that's pretty cool. I don't know if Plavim still listens to the program. We've, we've not had any indication of that in a long time. Yeah. Did we do anything to, to hurt Plavim and, and Raz and that whole gang?
1: Did, that, did we do something? I'm pretty sure their torpedo tubes are, have softly landed on the Genesis planet somewhere, and they're waiting for us to discover them. <laughs> ben, I have, a, I have a proposition for you. It's something we haven't done in quite a long time. But uh, given the topic of the day, and by that I mean the episode of Deep Space Nine we're going to discuss, I thought you might be interested in doing a little Mad Libs with me. One, two, and you people, you're all. some kind of Star Trek. Mad Lib, Mad Lib.
0: Some kind of Star Trek, Mad Lib. Oh, I would love nothing more.
1: All right. As we've done before, I am the holder of the Mad Libs book, given to us by our friend of DeSoto, Dan Davis.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that actually brings up a good point, which is that you are the holder of that book because you were previously the holder of the P.O. box, but uh, now, that, now that you're moving, we've switched P.O. boxes, Adam. Yeah. So, look at me. I am the P.O. box captain now.
1: Really had a great experience uh, at our P.O. box place yesterday <laughs> where uh, I attempted to shut that box down. And because, uh, because I, I was convinced to prepay for the year. It's like a rolling year. We're going year to year and not month to month with the P.O. box. I was like, yeah, there's really no reason for me to have this anymore. So why don't we uh, wind this thing down and then you can just refund me for all the months that I'm not going to use. And the guy's like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? That's not how things work. That's not how any of this works. Yeah. And I really felt like a fool.
0: I told my wife that they would not give you a prorated <laughs> refund, and she offered to <laughs> go to war with them <laughs> on our behalf. That, that type of shit makes her blood boil. I
1: couldn't even be mad I was so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sucked. Anyway, uh, what I guess I'm trying to say is uh, You could keep sending stuff to the old P.O. Box address But it may be a year before we see it So (laughs) Uh, As ever, the rule is Never send food Alright, Ben uh, The first word I need from you is a plural noun Pee-wee's How about a verb? Shoot Uh, How about a noun? Pooper How about another noun? Chair And an adjective?
0: Jazz (laughs) we use that as an adjective all the time.
1: Yeah, that I mean Mad Libs really work great when you apply like a personal manipulation <laughs> to things. Yeah, like that it really yeah. really creates a great one.
0: Nonsense and jokes yeah. really uh, improve the Mad Lib experience.
1: Another noun, please. Shuttlecraft. Type of food. It's got to be gah. noun. Kevin's house. Verb ending in ing. Gambling. Adverb. Mm, reckless. I guess that would be recklessly. Recklessly, yeah. Recklessly. Verb. Flew. Fly. Fly. I don't. Would, fly is the good. The tenses. Keep, fly is good. Okay. Yeah. Good. The, these tenses keep tripping me. Now. Verb ending in ing. Farting. Adjective. Hairy. A place. Deep Space Nine. Celebrity. Captain Picard. And finally adjective rumpled all right ben the title of today's mad lib is holodeck do's and don'ts fun there are certain peewees that you'll have to follow if you want to shoot the holodeck first of all what is it (laughs) the holodeck is a pooper that creates a simulated reality for anyone inside the chair the holodeck creates seems so jazz that you can hardly tell the difference Eat a shuttlecraft in the holodeck, and it tastes like gah. Want to play a game of Kevin's house? Strap on your helmet and start gambling. (laughs) People on starships recklessly want to use the holodeck because they can fly things that they have not seen in months or years. Some people like it so much that they they can't stop themselves from farting in it. That's true. That's called holodiction, and it's very hairy. (laughs) So if you're missing Deep Space Nine or want to meet Captain Picard, hop into the holodeck and get ready for some rumpled fun. Wow. That worked better than almost
0: anything. I I definitely do want to play Kevin's house.
1: We've kept the idea of Kevin alive. That's maybe the main thing that we've done on Greatest Generation.
0: That is our number one contribution to humanity and, uh, and the generation to come.
1: Barkley was not on board the entrepreneur when they met Kevin. But could you imagine how fucking nuts it would have been if all his holodictions had to do with Kevin and his house? (laughs) (laughs) It'd be great. One of
0: my favorite things that I brought home from uh, some of our recent live shows is somebody brought a beautiful uh, painting of Kevin's house.
1: Uh, You kept that, didn't you?
0: Well, I don't know. I don't know how anything works, because I think Rob, like, we set stuff down on the merch table when people give it to us, and then Rob packs up the merch table typically at the end of the night, and I think some of the stuff goes into the one suitcase that the t-shirts came in, and the other stuff goes into the suitcase that the coins and posters came in, and that splits it up between us.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that same thing happens with our cash box. (laughs) Huh. And then, like, have Rob you noticed? Is, Rob has been like his wardrobe has really gotten a big boost. Like, Rob has uh, been
0: walking around in those in those shoes that have fish living in the in the platform soles. Yeah, really uh, acting like he owns the place. And
1: and Ben, like, it's a saltwater fish too. Like, you know that's yeah. even more expensive.
0: Yeah, and and like all those gold teeth that he seems to have replaced his perfectly healthy
1: original teeth with. Yeah. What the hell, Rob? Now, it feels like everywhere we turn, people are double crossing us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, it's business as usual, Adam. Oh. Speaking of which. That's also the title of today's episode, Ben. Yeah, it's season 5, episode 18 of Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
1: Ow! Do you realize how incredible
0: this is? Ow! <laughs> Ow! <laughs> no, of course you don't. Directed by. Alexander Siddig. Yeah, it's his first time. He's uh he's credited as uh, Siddig El Fadil, but his his full name Adam, of course, is Siddig El Tahir El Fadil El Siddig abdurrahman Muhammad Ahmed Abdel-Karim El Mahdi. But he has like one stage name for acting and another one for directing. Oh, I like that. And he gets he go he, he goes in for for a little piece for uh, for those two what
1: do you think are the benefits of being one name as a director and another name as an actor yeah I mean do he have to pay double dues if he wants to be directors Guild and actors Guild I think you have to no matter what yeah weird you know I think I think when uh, we talked
0: to Lavar Burton back in the day he said that they kind of they had like a process in place by the time he became a director on the show total Bullshit, man. And if you're an actor, like a, a main cast actor, and you ask to be given the consideration of directing some episodes, they like th- the uh, the Star Trek industrial comp- complex is prepared to talk you through how to do that. It's just
1: bullshit. That's pretty great. I think it's one of the great things about Star Trek as a production is yeah. uh, is how you're able to get reps in this way. Like how
0: many Sudan-born people in Hollywood were directing television episodes at this time
1: you can't help but feel as though this experience makes you a better actor because you want to understand that relationship from both sides don't you like if you're an actor and you're directing something for the first time I think I think you intrinsically understand what an actor wants in a way that a director that's only ever been a director may not understand
0: yeah. I mean and and that comports I think with what we talked to LeVar Burton about. And and I think that, you know, Bashir is a character that has really undergone some some really important change in this season. And I think that's both like story based character change and also like how the production thinks about him as a character and the kind of respect that they pay him as a character. Yeah. And this feels like it may be partly attendant to the second half of that. Like the like, if the production is taking him more seriously, maybe they ta- are taking the person portraying him more seriously as well. Right. So uh, this episode opens with uh, Jetzia. She is uh, carrying on with one of her late night gambling hangs with Quark, and uh, he's a little a little distracted.
1: Quark, it's your move. Um, just a moment. Tongo has always felt to me a lot like poker in that it is a group game And playing Tongo heads up this way really requires a lot of you Like you can't just fuck off and look at your phone (laughs) while you're playing (laughs) two-handed Tongo, right? Yeah,
0: there are a couple of empty seats next to them Did you get the idea that they had eliminated all other players?
1: Oh, you know, I didn't even consider the idea that maybe they busted everyone out I don't know,
0: and it's like it's like one of those games that just goes super late into the
1: night as they beat each other up over the over the pot that could be the case it it looks like it's very late at night at this point. quark is doing that thing where he's losing a bunch of investments at the same time that he's losing his game of tango, kind of like an internet gambler playing a bunch of poker games <laughs> at once right like he's losing everywhere and yeah he's. He's losing the kind of way where he's not even feeling it emotionally. He's just being kicked in the nuts to the degree that by the time Dax finally grabs him by the lapels and asks him to start paying attention or else she'll leave, he's been busted out in real life. He's lost all of his investment. The loans are due in a week. If I don't come up with the latinum, there'll be nothing left of me but a greasy spot on the promenade. Did you hear the uh, Quadro Triticale futures? I did. Didn't do well? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, not enough uh, hungry tribbles, I guess, to to prop up that stock.
0: Yeah, he's really overextended himself, and uh, this is a real thing that happens to people in business.
1: They're really drawing a parallel between gambling and investing in this scene, I think.
0: I think like the one thing that this episode maybe ignores is the is the like is the fact that this bar has sort of been bailed out already, yeah, and everybody brought in secondhand canar and what, or whatever to to restock the bar, and apparently Cork has in about one year's time <laughs> squandered all of that
1: goodwill. Yeah, it sure seems that way, and that's just the start in this episode. Yeah. Uh, At this moment, Gala barges in, and this is a cousin of Quark's that we have heard of through reputation. He's the cousin with the moon. Yeah. And uh, has an interaction with Dax. How titillating.
0: And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it?
1: Before she beats feet, and he proposes a working arrangement with Quark, wherein they would be in the weapons sales business.
0: Which is uh, a business that uh, that Quark claims to not know much about, even though we've for sure heard tell of him selling arms before.
1: Right, and Gala has found him at exactly the right time. Like, the exact moment he's lost everything, that door closes and this door to Gala and arms trading opens.
0: Yeah. is uh, played by Josh Pace, who's a, uh, a venerable that guy. He's been... In about a million TV shows and, uh, and and a few movies, including Rounders.
1: Might want to leave a little something for your daughter's riding lessons.
0: To speak of gambling things. Hey,
1: that's cool. I really like that yeah. movie. Written by the great Brian Koppelman.
0: Sopranos, Sex and the City. Been in a beautiful mind, Law and Order. What hasn't he been in? He
1: really gets around.
0: So yeah, the uh, the deal that he proposes is he wants to use Quark as uh, as one of his salesmen in this in this arms dealing venture, and Quark will get 5% commission on deals that he closes, and Quark is like, wait, 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 wait. Like, Odo Mr. <laughs> lives on this station. Like, if I start trafficking arms through the cargo holds on Deep Space Nine, that's gonna be my ass. Like, like this is a terrible idea. But Gala has a, 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 an innovation in in the back of his mind that is going to sidestep some of the concerns W slash R slash T Constable Odo
1: it's a fun ongoing paranoia that Quark feels throughout the ep for Odo
0: yeah Odo is not in the ep a ton but his presence is felt
1: it's a paranoia that Quark should feel every moment of every day and it's a wonder that only in this case does he feel it uh, the most acutely right? Yeah. I mean, cause Quark is constantly doing crime. <laughs> Be Ferengi, do crime. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Should we make that a t-shirt? Sure. <laughs> That's probably cultural appropriation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean like the, the paranoia is kind of laid bare in this episode. There's like a lot of bouncing on bar stools and dipping his pinky into drinks to see if he can taste Odo in them. Yeah. And, uh, that definitely like pegs the paranoia needle.
1: I mean if you're if you're tasting for Odo, you're you're probably still tasting Alyssa, right? Whoa. Yowza <laughs> Gross. That makes a simple
0: investigation a little bit more complicated.
1: <laughs> oh Ben, one of the more insane pairings between A and B stories ever, <laughs> I think, is the B story appendage to Business as Usual, because uh, we cut back and forth between the A to the O'Brien baby and how difficult it is to get young Yoshi to sleep. We get, yeah. we get like God, the the skinniest thread of interstitial scenes. Woven throughout this episode Beginning with a scene where Jake just reminds us That he's on the show Morning, Chief (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like his two lines of dialogue And then he's out O'Brien's rocking Yoshi so long Without showing his face to camera That I thought for sure it was a flower baby Before handing him to Jake And proving the hypothesis That only with Miles O'Brien Can Yoshi fall asleep And not cry
0: I think that there's a baby stand-in because there's really like two or three moments where you actually see a living baby in this episode. And yeah, I mean, I think the nice thing about this B story is that it is uh, confirmation that Chief O'Brien has finally started to pull some of his weight in the family project of raising children.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, he shouldn't have to carry that weight because the... Starfleet paternity slash maternity leave policy should be far more generous than it is. What the fuck is yeah, this? Yeah, what shit? the fuck, Starfleet? Also, who does Keiko work for, really? Because she's off doing work on Bejor, but does she work for Starfleet in that capacity? I don't think so, right? So if she's an independent contractor, why doesn't she get more time off to care for Yoshi?
0: Well, sometimes uh, as an independent contractor, as I'm sure you know, it doesn't ever feel like you can turn work down.
1: The future sucks, Ben.
0: (laughs) It's a nightmare.
1: (laughs) Ben, did you ever have to carry around a flower baby at your tennis academy? Was that a thing that that you're familiar with, or was that just me, a a public school kid? In
0: middle school, we had
1: a project where we had
0: to carry a hard-boiled egg for a Week.
1: Oh, hard-boiled is chicken shit. You should have to carry a raw egg around. Well, it's going to get stinky if you carry a raw egg around for a week. A raw egg can totally live outside of a fridge. That is true if
0: you're in Europe or uh, certain uh, countries in Africa where they don't wash a protective coating off the shell. But in a, in the U.S., now are you telling me be... at your
1: tennis academy they wouldn't have given you European sourced eggs?
0: <sighs> Give you a break. No, of course not. They got they got they got uh, American eggs. My math teacher Mrs. Long brought a fucking 18 pack of eggs to the class one day that she bought at Costco.
1: I know that's untrue because at your tennis academy the eggs come in packages of 3 like a sleeve of, of tennis balls. <laughs> Is that a real thing? I've never heard of that. So did you keep your egg from cracking? No. It cracked. Of course not. How did you crack it?
0: Adam, you know me. I'm not a precise or careful man,
1: Wow. I'm looking forward to uh Dad Ben not cracking his raw egg <laughs> sometime in the future.
0: You had to carry around the sack of flour. I did, yeah, sure did Wow, and that and you better believe I've, that uh that I guarantee you it did not it did not shed an ounce of flour.
1: You know what's fucked up about a bag of flour is a bag of flour will leak flour no matter how you care for it,
0: yeah. You know what's fucked up about the egg thing? It didn't have anything to do with, like, a health class or anyone telling us about, like, what the point was. I, I think it was for extra credit, and it wasn't related to anything. Like, there was no attempt to make it a teachable moment about any specific phenomenon, W-slash-R-slash-T, human biology.
1: That's too bad. Because that's, <laughs> that's what it should be. It should it should give you a great amount of fear. <laughs>
0: yeah
1: not that uh getting anyone pregnant was ever a concern for me at that age or in the <laughs> many years that followed uh-huh. <laughs> My flower was not going to leak
0: Go Dukart. Dukart. Go Dukart. Dukart.
1: so back in quarks, we get a scene of great paranoia for a possible odo appearance, but. It is on the heels of this that we are introduced to a character named Haggath. This is my associate, Haggath. I do not know who you are yet, but I will.
0: Yeah, and Haggath is uh, a real space Nazi type, a real Lord of War.
1: A real Colonel Potofsky from Rambo 2. Did you make (laughs) this guy? I did not. I I knew
0: I'd seen him in things, but... uh,
1: Oh my God, he is the greatest. He's got one speed, and it is hate. It's totally evil. You may scream. There is no shame. I was picturing
0: Siddig directing this guy just going, bigger, more hateful.
1: (laughs) Steven Burkoff is the actor who plays him, and uh, he really brings those Potofsky vibes to this performance. It is great. A real treat.
0: Yeah, he's also got a uh, kind of a dabo girl style... Lady with him, my companion, Talora, who I don't think says one word in the entire episode.
1: I feel like they did this a little bit in TNG, but they really do this a lot in Deep Space Nine, where there is a consort escorting yeah. a a guest actor in an episode that gets very few, if any, lines and is just there to look sexy. Yeah, kind of a weird phenomenon. Yeah, we are introduced to the idea of a hollow suite being used as a sales floor, which I think is a very interesting concept. And it is because it represents a loophole to the whole Quark shouldn't sell arms on Deep Space Nine. Because are you really selling arms if what you're doing is going to a hollow suite and... Playing with fake arms and shooting at right. fake things. There, these are the finest hollow sweets
0: in the sector. I believe it. So I guess the idea is that they're able to give a great deal of accuracy to the way the weapons perform. They're able to program them to a high degree of verisimilitude, so you can really test them. And there are some fun scenes, <laughs> like when they when they first uh, take Haggath in there. He picks up a uh, a really cool looking blaster rifle and, and shoots it at Quark and is delighted that it pulls to the right just like the real ones. And uh, and then they like they start reminiscing, Gala and and Haggath about all of the, all of the arms deals they've done in the past and and uh, you know selling to both sides of conflicts and all of the uh, all of the fun times they've had as uh, merchants of death. <laughs>
1: There's sort of a conflict triangle being set up here between Quark and Gala and Haggith because Quark is the last of the three to join in this little group of arms dealers. And what Gala is doing is is propping up Quark into someone that Haggith can trust. Haggith almost immediately is just the sort of manager that rules by fear instead of inspiration. Right. And so it very early on when Gala t- says to Haggith that it's all Quark's idea that they're selling arms on the hollow suite. Ordinarily, that would feel like a moment of triumph, like Quark is is the third on a team and he's like a real team member at this point. But what it really means is that Quark is now in Haggith's vision for punishment should he ever slip up. And it's and it's like an elevation into danger. And
0: and that I don't think is lost on Quark. Like he like the second Haggath leaves the room, Quark is like, why the fuck did you tell him? Yeah. That? <laughs> like and Quark wants and to like, be the guy behind the guy. And you know, Quark's back has been against the wall up until this point. Like the five percent that he's gonna be making off these things is the difference between some kind of debtor's prison and living a rich And remunerative life where he's let back into Ferengi polite society and buys a moon and and et cetera, et cetera. Like, the the long goal here is that he becomes wealthy off of this, but the immediate concern is that he is facing ruination if this doesn't work out.
1: It's so on Quark's mind that very early on he sees Haggith about when he's going to get paid. Like, what's the pay schedule going to be here? And... (laughs) Haggith, like, wheels around in his office chair and is like, uh, you don't know this, but your wages have actually been garnished and going to your debtors directly. They were most appreciative.
0: And Quark's like, no, 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 I'm a bartender. The only thing I garnish are drinks.
1: It's a really practical explanation because the way that Haggith puts it is that he needs to work with people who are not... Subject to the leverage that someone who is in a great amount of debt to someone else would have and it's a lot like if you were ever to apply to work in a casino or for a government job, for example, like this is this is the reason that a tax return is an important document when you are running for our or our president, like you do not want evidence of any leverage over you for any reason. Huh. I never thought of that. So, uh, Haggath is not a stranger to the idea that Quark needs something for his hard work, and so he gives him some valuable glass beads to soften the blow. Yeah.
0: Worth a fortune. Yeah. Apparently. And Quark is good at this, right? Like, we see some scenes of him, like, you know, making 2,000 rifle sales, and some champagne is toasted to his skills as a salesman. He's, uh,. He's got some talent. He's selling arms and having fun. But not everybody is having fun, Adam. One of the people that's not having fun is baby Yoshi. Because baby Yoshi has to go everywhere with Chief O'Brien. Because if Keiko's not around, Chief O'Brien is the only bed that Yoshi is comfortable on.
1: There was a real first wave of friends who had kids in my social group where like they're already on their second and even third kids many of them but that first yeah. kid you know got the bubble wrap treatment <laughs> but you get that second kid and all of a sudden they're going to bars and uh, and rock concerts and stuff with them i, I like <laughs> that uh, that this is the o'brien second child and this child yeah. gets to go play darts with miles o'brien yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great. And through this darts game, we get our second scene of O'Brien demonstrating the unwillingness of Yoshi to be anywhere but in his arms. And uh, this time he's demonstrating it to Bashir. So uh, it will eventually escalate to a medical condition. But not before Quark gets some umaks from uh, Haggith's girlfriend— which I kind of thought they were setting up to be like a, a situation where Haggith was going to walk in on Cork and yeah. feel betrayed by both Quark and the girlfriend, but apparently not. That's that's not at all the arrangement between Haggith and this lady.
1: There are so many angles at which the fear is coming at Quark. I thought for sure this would be one of those fear vectors. But maybe H- Haggith and this lady have kind of a
0: non-exclusive thing. Yeah, you know she can she can umox whoever she wants, and that's fine. Yeah, it's not a big deal. He doesn't want to know the details, but he's perfectly happy for her to go have adventures.
1: Whether or not it's on the up and up with Haggith, uh, you never gonna want to get walked in on when you're experiencing <laughs> umox, and Odo walks <laughs> right in during.
0: Yeah, I love the upside down camera. Yeah, on this uh, on this moment. I hope I'm not interrupting anything.
1: That's big fun. I mean, Alexander Sidig. We talk about this all the time. I think, like in editing, you often do not want to be noticed as a director, right? Yeah. If you if a move is being noticed, oftentimes it it means there's something wrong.
0: Right. You do see th- directors do things for attention, like which can really cut both ways, right? Like sometimes that's really welcome. Like I think that Tarantino has a a very specific style and like Wes Anderson has a very specific style. And like there are people that that specificity grates on and other people that love it, Yeah, you know?
1: Yeah. But in this episode specifically, I think there were a couple of areas where Alexander Siddick takes a shot with an interesting perspective and it works. It's not super flashy. It's just different. Like there's a scene I don't remember what scene it is where you get a nice, like, reflection of Quark's face as an establishing shot and then a pan into him walking into frame. Like, stuff like that. Like, good craft. But not flashy craft, you know?
0: I kind of wonder if this comes from being, like, if you're an actor on this show, you're walking around these sets all the time for years on end. Mm -hmm. And one of the amazing things about the Deep Space Nine sets is that they have ceilings. Yeah. Which... You don't really see a lot in television. Like if you go on the set of like the police precinct office on a on a police procedural show, like what you will see is the four walls of the of the office and then no ceiling because there's a grid up there with lights clamped to it. Yeah. And that is not how they did the sets on Deep Space 9. Like they built the entire room with the ceiling included and the lighting in the ceiling is practical yeah and that upside down shot where the camera pans from the ceiling to upside down odo is taking advantage of that and in a way that i feel like you might miss if you're just a tv director coming in and getting your week you know
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense
0: so quark is hauled into the security office and He's pretty confident that the charges are not going to stick. None of these charges are going to stick. I haven't broken any laws. He's kind of thrown this back in Odo's face, like I know I'm selling arms, but no contraband is being brought onto the station. I'm just making arrangements. Like there's no, there's no there there. And uh, Odo is not so sure, but uh, a surprise trump card comes into play. Let him go.
1: In the form of Kira and Cisco. And the reason is the Bajoran government has declared Haggath a friend of the resistance due to yeah. his history of selling the resistance, a bunch of the arms that they used to resist the Cardassian occupation.
0: This is an interesting point of difference from Lord of War, right? Like because yeah. Lord of war the the reason he gets to keep going is, like, Oliver North wants to enable the arms trade to continue because he can use it to his advantage sometimes. Whereas, like, the Bajoran militia is really just giving this a pass as a thanks.
1: In this moment, I wondered if this was just a one-pass thing or if it was a in-perpetuity type of pass. Right. Like, does Uh, he get uh, immunity forever? I
0: don't know. I would, as a business person, want a little clarity on that. (laughs) Uh (laughs)
1: Uh-huh. Either way, Haggith doesn't seem to care other than celebrating the idea that Quark is free. Yeah.
0: He's kind of a bon vivant, you know? Like, he's drinking brandy and explaining his his brilliant business mind. Like, sometimes you don't sell weapons for a profit. Sometimes you sell them so that you can get a favor again from those people later. And... Uh, there's some truth to that, I guess.
1: He's got the candelabra like, suite on DS9, so you know, you know he's rolling pretty hard.
0: Yeah, except for that candelabra fell over and all the all the candlesticks are bent. Yeah, that looks like a candlestick that they got from like the Beetlejuice prop warehouse.
1: <laughs> come come what are you
0: doing come to come to now?
1: because in this episode you can't ever be comfortable around haggith there is a ring at the door and a person named farak enters farak is an employee of haggith and he is there to grovel for some mistakes that he has made in
0: farak also known as pete r principal right
1: (laughs) yeah and haggith fires him in front of everyone and that's i mean this is this is like management 101 you never want to discipline an employee in front of other employees and that's how you know that uh haggith is not a good manager
0: our relationship is terminated yeah a friend of a friend uh recently was told that he had to let his entire team go and it was just a like his direct manager took him for a walk and said like you've got to let all five of your employees go in the next 60 minutes oh my god and like because this person was human felt terrible about it and and
1: yeah that doesn't leave a lot of time to cry in between
0: yeah and uh and like i think that this as in a, as a contrast shows how much Haggith is just is like totally sociopathic you know right because the second farak leaves like it's it's like toasts and laughs you know
1: i think the casting of this episode is really crucial because i think stephen burkoff is in like the top 10 percent of faces that can pull this off and make it believable <laughs> yeah what's fucked up is this is also an episode with lawrence tierney in it and like oh, yeah. lawrence tierney is another example of that type of face <laughs> Yeah. It's a total uh, casting
0: boon. Yeah. And I think Gala, Gala is well cast too because he's like he's the intermediate face where yeah. like he can play really like lovable characters and super hateable characters. He can be
1: either the devil or the angel on the shoulder depending. Yeah. Gala's is super tempting
0: to quirk because he's this lifeline but he's also come with some consequences as illustrated By the next scene, where Quark is, like, polishing a glass at the bar and Galo's like, Business always this good? And Quark is like, yeah, like, Starfleet has stopped patronizing my business since I got into business with you.
1: I must be off limits. It's something that Quark seems fairly affected by here. Like, there's a sadness to him. Like, Morn Morn is enough, I think, to keep a bar operating for the long term, (laughs) I think. Yeah,
0: Morn is like one max fund donor that's contributing at the $250 a month level to right. only your show.
1: Yeah, Morn is the platinum <laughs> angel in this scenario
0: yeah. or whatever. Right. You can tell you're a beloved regular when you pass out from being overserved at a bar and they don't get you a cab.
1: Those are bar goals, I think, for me. <laughs> also, Gala casually mentions maybe more casually than he should, but also maybe in a way that tells you a lot about Galo as a person, that uh, Farrakh died in a freak warp core, quote-unquote, accident, Uh, but Mm -hmm. really, Haggath had him killed. Yeah. Because you can't show up late for work if you're working for Haggath. Farrakh
0: was living it up on Risa when he should have been closing deals. Yeah. I think that it would have been an interesting script choice if Farrakh had shown some humanity maybe instead of just being a lazy asshole like, i think like it's not a, like farak never never didn't believe in selling weapons of war
1: it's not an excuse but it's a reason if farak will were to be like look i took some time off to be with my lady on RISA, but for whatever reason like the weather situation there was all fucked up, and there was a storm, <laughs> and and the resort caught me a week, because because the weather was so fucked up, and there was, like, an earthquake. Like, yeah. it, it was actually really weird for Riza.
0: so I'm not... And that happened, like, two months ago, but this was, like, the only weekend I could go back, so I I had to do it, you know? Like, I wasn't gonna give up a free week on Ryza. You gotta take him up
1: on that deal.
0: Yeah. So, Gala confesses to Quirk that he's thinking about taking a little step back from the day-to-day operations of the business. You know, live his life, hang out on his moon, etc. I haven't seen a lot of evidence that Gala is nose to the grindstone on this whole arms dealing thing. Right. But he makes the case that Quark can have a larger percentage than five if he's willing to kind of step up to a, a higher level of responsibility. So that's tempting to Quark, I guess. But but this is all in the midst of his uh, all of his Starfleet friends abandoning him, and that uh, is further underlined uh, when he runs into Dax one morning at the Replimat and uh, sits down with his glass of snail juice, and she just will not even give him the time of day.
1: Might if I join you? Actually, I do. Yeah, it's more painful than a freeze-out. There's some real hostility there. She's ripshit with him. And I think I would be
0: rip shit with somebody that sat down with a glass of dirty snail water with snail shells in it.
1: Don't yuck his yum. That's
0: not the problem here. <laughs> I'm fine I'm fine with him liking that. I'm just saying don't bring it around me when I'm trying to eat because it looks filthy.
1: There's floaters in that snail juice. It's nasty shit. Quark tries to make the case for himself and the reasons that he has for his new line of work but Dax is not even trying to hear it.
0: RSVP the relationship.
1: Oh, we get five seconds of Bashir and O'Brien in the infirmary. There's nothing I can do for you, Chief. And then we're back with Haggith <laughs> hosting a fancy dinner <laughs> for the Regent of Palomar, who we mentioned before is played by the great, the great Lawrence Tierney, aka Cyrus Redblock from uh, TNG. Yeah,
0: he's the he's the gangster that uh, got get uh, disappeared when he walked out of the uh the holiday how
1: would you like to direct your very first episode of Deep Space nine and get Lawrence Tierney as a very special guest man what a guest
0: Tierney does great angry old man we had a funny guy with us in Korea <laughs> tail gunner he blew his brains out all over the Pacific but I feel like is even angrier because they put him in some loaf yeah he's like i had to get up at 5 a.m for this shit
1: (laughs) i love that this episode had the good sense to oppose lawrence tierney and steven burkoff like you get them together in the same scene that's what you want i read that uh, lawrence tierney was so popular on set that like you know a lot of times in these productions like you show up for the scenes that you're there to shoot and if you don't have a reason to be there then fuck off like Right. Or somewhere else but like people were there for lawrence Tierney, and that's great
0: wow the deal with him is he's he's royalty he's the regent of something so they have to really like uh dot the i's and cross the t's correctly to deal with him and uh there's a scene right before he shows up where cork is is showing gala and haggith all the uh all the, all the dishes that he's going to prepare yeah. for the regent when he arrives, he uh, he convinces Cork that uh, that uh, he's really pissed about the the preparations that have been made, and then he's like, "Nah, I'm just fucking with you, buddy." And uh, this is a like one of the few moments where you get the idea that there is some humanity in Haggith because he's doing bits.
1: We had you going there, didn't we? No, oh, you had him. Bits aren't funny when death is on the line, though, right? Like it's sort of like the rule about doing bits on tips. Less yeah. funny that way. <laughs> you know, one of the other aspects of humanity injected into this scene is that uh, in the there's like three or four trays of food being held by some people that we can barely see in the frame. And the tray in the most foreground is positively shaking. And it's because the actor holding the tray has probably had to hold it up for like eight takes. Did you notice that? Yeah.
0: And is covered in loaf. Yeah. Like including their hands. It's so their hard hands to hands have like, yeah, and uh, and these are trays that have like neon lights in them. Yeah. So you know that they've like snaked some some power cables down their sleeves and <laughs> in order to power these neon lights, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just an uncomfortable, thankless job as an extra to be in this much loaf, holding something heavy with a power cable going down your sleeve for that long. Yeah,
1: under those lights, like you've got to be sweating your ass off.
0: Ugh. Just to smell that loaf afterwards. Yeah. You probably Mm. want to throw
1: the loaf away at that point. But Cyrus Redblock, man. Yeah. He wants to buy arms, not in quantities of the arms themselves, but based on expected casualties. What kind of casualties are you looking for? Seven or eight million. We can help you there. But that's just the beginning that's not a way that people buy weapons is it
0: yeah i guess not his goal is a is an attack on a city that will wipe out 8 million instantly and then 20 million more over the ensuing months and cork is like 28 million suddenly i am concerned about the loss of life
1: that this is all uh, leading <laughs> to right it is a scope that really makes him stop and think but Gala is someone who reframes that scope for him in the scene after because Gala's is yeah. like 28 million might seem like a lot but and then they step into like the looking window outside DS9 on the promenade and he's like but 28 million is like one of those many dots out there in the star field it's the different ways of doing the math on loss
0: of life. Right. And, like, this is something that happens all the time in real life. Like, It's
1: perspective morality, right?
0: Right. It's kind of the trolley problem, right? Like, if you flip the switch, you're going to kill one person, and if you don't flip the switch, you're going to, like, like ten people will die.
1: Do you sell arms to the trolley, or don't
0: right. you? <laughs> <laughs> so, I think Cork kind of leads Gala to believe that he's been... He's been persuaded by this reframing of the issue, uh, but really Quark is still quite troubled, and this is illustrated in the form of a nightmare.
1: Right, it's kind of a night before Christmas style dream where uh, all of the cast members are the ghosts of a gun running future. You killed us all. Yeah, they're all dead.
0: Like I think that they did a good job, like making this feel distinct from a profit experience despite the fact that it's a very similar device like it wasn't necessarily like a grading effect
1: oh really i got the vibe that it was a little bit of a grade huh Hmm. i was watching this episode on my watch
0: you know what everybody is dying to find out adam is how did they get baby yoshi to stop crying
1: uh, if you're Miles O'Brien, you stick that baby in the most dangerous place on the entire <laughs> station. The exploding bunker on Ops.
0: Yeah. They call it the pit, and I feel like that might be the first time we've heard it referred to like by name. But yeah, the, uh, the place where all of the sparks fly whenever anything more dangerous than a ship coming through the wormhole happens uh, is where baby Yoshi is the most comfortable
1: so, yeah, that's, that's that storyline. It is this moment where Captain Sisko decides to give O'Brien some paternity leave. Forces it onto him, even. Yeah. How magnanimous. Yeah,
0: thanks, dude. <laughs> Quark really wants to be friends with Judzia again and uh, tries to bring a, uh, a gift to make peace in the form of a tango. Uh, game kit and uh this does not satisfy her she basically tells him to get the fuck out of her apartment and so he has to hatch a plan to avoid being a party to the deaths of 28 million people and uh so the the beef that the regent has is with i guess his daughter who was given a planet and decided to uh, declare independence the, the second she got it.
1: I don't know how that one got past my mind goalie. I didn't realize they were related. Why didn't they make that a bigger deal? Maybe am I misremembering it? I I think that makes the story far more interesting, if it if true. Because <laughs> the gambit that he puts together is like
0: he's he convinces he convinces Gala that he's got he's gonna be playing both sides against each other, like, oh yeah, we're gonna sell the we're going to sell the same WMD to both of them, and then you know, like we'll make twice as much money, even though we've like given a 20% discount to the one side because we're only de- delivering 17 million deaths. There's some stuff about Haggith being dissatisfied with Quark's work here, but he's got Gala convinced that uh, this is actually a come-up in the offing. And then he arranges for this lady and the regent to be in the same cargo bay at the same time which having seen a zillion episodes of star trek i thought was going to be she and her father like see each other for the first time in years and are persuaded to like bury the hatchet and try and rebuild their relationship or something (laughs)
1: oh man that's sweet
0: it it ends up uh, that the uh, the cargo bay turns into a phaser fight that quark has uh, has hustled himself away from just in time for odo to run past on the promenade and uh and
1: Quark got a nice little alibi he wasn't there i love how Quark dirty works this whole scene right because you don't because you kind of hear it after the fact too right like you don't even experience yeah. it in the room Is that a hand grenade? it's great yeah big fun and also uh economical fun too because you don't have to shoot a phaser fight
0: you don't have to shoot a phaser fight but you like it's as fun as a phaser fight yeah. in a lot of ways yeah um Because, uh, and I think crucially because we don't really care that much about any of the individuals involved in the fight.
1: Yeah, that's true. If you don't care, why shoot it or show it? Right. It makes a ton of sense.
0: Uh, Speaking of things that we don't care that much about, (laughs) the the baby Yoshi saga.
1: (laughs) Worf enters Casa de O'Brien and... In the least surprising thing to ever happen in Star Trek history...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right on the heels of maybe the most surprising thing to happen in Star Trek history. Right.
1: O'Brien hands the baby to Worf, and of course the baby won't cry with Worf, because that's hilarious.
0: Yeah. Worf really has a a special relationship with the O'Brien children. Delicious.
1: You know what I really liked about this scene was... Worf showing regret for not seeing his son at that age, like he has a line of dialogue. Like Worf gets next to nothing to do in this episode, but yeah. that moment really worked for me. Yeah,
0: and I loved that it was kind of met with deaf ears because O'Brien had already passed out. Yeah, how seldom Worf offers a instant an an instant of vulnerability like this, right. and he happens to when. There is are no conscious adults to absorb it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be fun if this were an ongoing thing where, like, Worf is a person who needs to confide and does, but no one hears him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the button on the episode begins in Sisko's office, and it's uh, Quark and Sisko discussing what has happened. It appears as though most of the people in the cargo bay had died, but Haggath and Gala escaped alive the daughter died yeah and
0: the regent died too
1: yeah uh but there was so much damage to the cargo bay that uh someone's going to be on the hook for that and that person's going to be quark so the wage garnishment will continue and quark will have to pay back for the repairs in an installment plan and then the final scene is him sort of
0: patching his friendship with dax up and it occurred to me If he's on the hook to repair this cargo bay, that the inciting incident
1: of the episode, his problem, has not been solved in any way. How does he have money to play Tomgo here? Yeah. Do you think he's going into his own register to gamble?
0: Or is it like playing with pennies when you make a six-figure salary? Like Like the amount he owes is so astronomical that...
1: That latinum strips are insignificant? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, maybe. Interesting conclusion to the ep, Ben. I think this dovetails nicely into the question, did you like the episode?
0: You really want to do
1: this? Here, now. Okay, okay. Let's do
0: it. Do it. I don't know that I did. I really liked a lot of the characters in it. Like, I think Gala delivers as a character that's been built up for a long time, and we finally get to see all of the that guy bad guys we get in this episode are really fun. And the kind of like emotional stakes of the evil acts that Quark is engaged in are interesting. But um maybe it's the B story really clanging against the A story. Or maybe it's just I feel like I have Quark's morality fatigue hmm. at this point with the show. Yeah, where that's fair. I kind of feel like they they have besmirched quark and alternately built him back up so many times that i'm a little tired of the game of that yeah like you know what i would compare it to is uh the doctor on the reboot battlestar galactica series where like almost every single episode he gets some ethical conundrum and then the lady in the red dress appears
1: Oh, you're not talking about Doc Coddle. you're talking about the what, the main character guy, right? Yeah, okay. and like... God, how did I, d- I fucking I d- have that name cold? What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah, but
0: main character guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is the best either of us is going to do for the person we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like, at a certain point, you see that, that trick coming from a mile away, and it stops being interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. And It feels and, like a manipulation.
0: Right, and that's, and that's sort of where I'm at with Quark. Like, give me a long Quark storyline that spans episodes that has nothing to do with this, and I'm going to be all yours.
1: My feelings on the episode are related to this and your comments. Like, Deep Space Nine has been called the serialized Star Trek, but it's a fucking lie. It really is, and this is an episode that proves it, because... There are no consequences for Quark here. I think it's insincere and wrong for Dax to be his friend at the end of this episode. Odo oversaw the murder of three innocent people. And when Kira found out, she said she wasn't... Like, at the end of that episode, basically concluded with her not being sure if they can be friends anymore after that. What is Dax's deal at the end of this episode? (laughs) Like, the entire episode were made to feel as though Dax is sort of the conscience of the ep, and she is the proxy for the rest of the crew. She's the one pushing back on the bad things that Quark is doing. And for her to forgive and invite him back into her life so easily forgives all the terrible things that Quark did in this episode. And it's emblematic of what the show does over and over for Quark.
0: Right, like, the episode gets so preoccupied with the fact that he... Saved 28 million lives, that it ignores the fact that he sold a lot of weapons before that happened. You
1: don't get credit for saving 28 million lives just for not killing them. Like, hey, Ben, I just saved 28 million lives by not killing 28 million people. Isn't that great? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Congratulations.
0: You're, you're incredible. You want to play Tongo? <laughs> hey, head to the Max Fun store right now and get our new t shirt. <laughs> I just saved 28 million lives by not killing 28 million people.
1: (laughs) That's the same math that the show is doing. And I just, I I don't think it's fair. Here's another thing I want to say is like, this episode really leans into the potential of what the Ferengi always were. This is what they should have been from the start. They should have been gun runners. They should have Mm -hmm. been more pirate-like in this way. And this feels like a natural, like hand-in-glove type of fit, this type of story. And that there is no consequences for quark at the end of it i think it's it's wasted potential and it's not to say that i dislike the app i think i think it is well directed good job by alexander Siddig. i think the story yeah. is fun i think the the guest actors are great and fun to watch but it's
0: a it's a showrunner level problem
1: yeah it's I'm, I'm coming down on the show in general more than coming down on the episode specifically, and that's something that I want to be clear about. Well, uh, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages in the inbox? We need to praise them like we should. <laughs> Remember Fat uh, Boy Slim? Yeah. That was fun. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a
0: supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental,
1: income? supplemental. Supplemental
0: yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone, could be enough to buy this ship.
1: Ben, our first priority one message is from Baron Hazmat. It is for Lord Clausen. Message goes like this. Imare libertas, Lord Clausen. Just to get matters to rest. One, eggs are ingredients, not food. Two, pickles <laughs> are food ruiners. Three, what the dogs' names are Eric, Richard, and Grover. For, in retrospect, I could have done without the Sheshwan pepper vodka. Thanks for introducing this pod to me. It is more fun. And a warm room full of curlers at a Bonspiel. Hmm.
0: A Bonspiel.
1: I, uh, there's a lot that I personally disagree with about this message. Yeah. Taking them in order... Uh, eggs are food to me I, uh, yeah. a couple of hard-boileds are often a breakfast that I enjoy
0: I know that you have a personal policy of always ordering the deviled eggs if you see them on a restaurant menu It that
1: is, it's one of my rules Here's what I'll say about pickles Uh, sweet pickles are trash
0: Fuck you Still all the way Sweet pickles are great Also, all pickles are great
1: I could get behind a general pro-pickle policy but sweet pickles are not my favorites
0: you've had bad sweet pickles yeah. and you need to you need to get with you, you need to get right with sweet pickles you need to have some some nice artisanal like Rick's picks bread and butter chips all
1: right uh, give them a shot all right uh,
0: they have a they have a place like I wouldn't I wouldn't eat them by themselves the way I would a dill spear but they are good on sandwiches and stuff.
1: I find that the dill pickle mixes into food better than the sweet. Like if you're making a if you're making a salad or a sandwich or something that requires yeah, a chopped like, pickle, uh, dill is the only one I reach for.
0: I think it's really nice on a burger, can really balance out some of the umami. Mm. But if you're cutting out sweet pickles in general, that means you're cutting out things like beet pickles, which are delicious.
1: Okay, I want to be clear. Uh, like, the pickled vegetable as a thing, I love. I love all. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the, uh, the pickled gherkin yeah. in a sweet V-dill trial. Is, I find for the dill is is what I'm saying my judgment would be. Baron Hazmat, you don't know
0: anything. Pickles improve all food.
1: Uh, the fourth item here is uh, I could have done without the Szechuan pepper vodka. I... I do not tend to like flavored vodkas, so uh, that might be one area of this message I'm in agreement with uh, Baron Hazmet
0: yeah, and I think that we're non-combatants on the issue of what the dogs' names are right yeah
1: yeah neutral
0: yeah so uh, enjoy the watermelon full of curlers or whatever. <laughs> Whatever that thing you said was
1: <laughs> more fun and a warm room full of curlers at a Bonspiel. All right There you go a warm room or a water. What? It might have been auto corrected, but it says warm room Oh, oh. Bond spiel is a curling tournament. So curlers at a curling tournament warm oh. room Oh, you know what if you're curling you're probably doing it uh, at an ice rink and yeah. uh, those are pretty cool places. You probably want to be in a yeah. warm room when you're not busy curling, right? Maybe so.
0: Our second priority one message is from Gil, and it's to Ben and Adam. Uh-huh. And it goes like this. Hi, English is not my mother tongue. A while ago I was sent for work to a foreign country where I was pretty much alone for many weeks. I binged your pod and that plus watching the corresponding DS9 episode really helped me overcome lo- overcome loneliness. Thank you. I believe that entertainment is not free, and I'm honor-bound to pay for your very well-crafted product.
1: Wow, thank you, Gil. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Giel's got it right. Giel understands that quality is worth paying for. Yeah. Gil
0: has a, uh, a Klingon-like sense of honor. Yeah. And I appreciate that.
1: Well, if you would like to help fund the production of The Greatest Generation in a way that you'll felt obligated to do you can go to maximumfundorg slash Jumbotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200 maximumfundorg slash donate is also a place where you can keep us going on a monthly basis uh, all of those ways are how we keep being able to do the greatest generation hey Adam what's that Ben? did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? drunk, drunk Shimoda! Shimoda! yeah Easy, Dax. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know how you get over what she got over, but she did. It's fairly nonsensical to me.
0: Yeah, my drunk Shimoda is quark, and it is for that snail juice order mm. that he places. Mm-hmm. And I think it is so interesting. Like there's like one of the shorthands in filmmaking is for bad guy is this this dude eats gross shit or eats shit in a gross way yeah. like the 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 regent in lord of the rings eating those tomatoes is something we've talked about uh-huh. a bunch of times like it's it's off-putting and therefore you don't like him and the regent in this eats gross shit as a way of bringing into full relief what a bad dude he is. Like, like, they don't rely on you hating him just for wanting to kill 28 million people. They also make him eat a bunch of gross food. But Quark orders a sludgy glass with, like, murky brown liquid and visible snail shells that he's taking quaffs from in a scene where Jadzia is pissed off with him in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> I feel like it is amazing that the episode doesn't make more of this being like symbolic of his uh descent into evil. <laughs> and uh it just it like it really stuck out to me as like being a totally amazing production choice. So uh that's uh Cork is my drunk Shimoda for that.
1: Yeah. I think we got a couple of strong Shimodas here out of this ep.
0: paintings. They send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain.
1: A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill Just one more week till Max fun Drive.
0: <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year.
1: And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But
0: do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content.
1: Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March twenty-first.
0: Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh,
1: nothing. We're all set for Max Fund Drive to start on Monday, March eighteenth.
0: I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating.
1: Find us by searching for the word secretly
0: in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
1: Well, Ben, what episode are we going to watch on the next greatest generation, and how are we going to watch it? Well, the
0: next episode is season five, episode nineteen, "Ties of Blood and Water." The imminent death of Kira's Cardassian father rekindles painful memories of losing her real father. So I'm going to go to gach.biz/game and fire up the game of buttholes. The will of the prophets. Right now we are on square 55 sandwich right in between a, uh, a Quark's bar and a looking at each other during episode. Uh, the, the looking at each other during uh, is, is ahead as is a space butthole that would take us all the way down to square 18 for another Quark's bar. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. Adam?
1: You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Wait a second. That space butthole is out of range.
0: Oh, okay. Well, it's in range now because I've rolled a two.
1: Chula! Ah. Did I win? Hardly.
0: Oh. I've jumped us over the looking at each other during. We're on square 57. Something everyone knows. And a regular old episode. My favorite kind! <laughs> Well, that'll be next week on The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. The dependability of
1: a regular old episode, Ben. Love it. Yeah.
0: Hey, I think that a lot of people that listen to this show are going to be excited about the new Star Trek Picard series that's coming out, and maybe uh, maybe don't know that our show, The Greatest Discovery, is going to be where we cover that show. That's right. So uh, I want to put people onto that. We are already... Uh, we already have at least one episode out as of this recording of us reviewing uh, a series of comic books that they're putting out that uh, tell some of the story in between uh, Star Trek Nemesis and the beginning of Star Trek Picard. And um, if you're uh, reading those books or if you just want to uh, you know, follow along with our uh, review and prep for that show... Uh, get yourself subscribed to The Greatest Discovery. It's uh, it's available all the same places that The Greatest Generation is available.
1: It's basically The Greatest Generation about yeah, the it, new CBS shows. Like, don't think it's right. something different. It's the same. It's dicks and farts. It's, it's us. It's us. Uh, having multiple shows means needing more support and... I would encourage you, if you're a fan of what we do, to go to maximumfundorg slash donate. I've been on the record before saying that it is not a donation because you're getting something in return. You are paying for the ongoing production of the show and getting a ton of bonus episodes at the same time. You
0: are. And
1: uh, if you've already got a subscription,
0: consider getting one for a friend as as a holiday gift. What a nice gift.
1: Very thoughtful. Yeah. Hey, you got me a dick joke. Just what I've always wanted. <laughs> it's the dick joke that keeps on coming. <laughs> uh, Got to gotta give thanks for the many friends of DeSoto who helped make this show what it is. Got to give a shout out to our friend Bill Tilly at BillTilly1973 on Twitter. He of the official collectible trading cards attached to every episode that we make of The Greatest Generation.
0: And our great, great friend Adam Ragusia, who makes the theme music and a lot of the music beds and things that you hear on the show, uh, he's a uh, great big YouTube celebrity, far more famous than we are now, uh, and he uh, he has a cooking channel over there on YouTube. Check it out.
1: Yeah. I mean, while we're talking about people who might not listen to the show anymore, <laughs> the goose has been busy. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't answer my calls anymore. Oh, straight, to, straight to voicemail
0: Can't even get in his uh, on his uh, day planner These days yeah. the Goose is so successful But uh, yeah thank you to everybody That uh, tweets about the show Leaves us a nice review on Apple Podcasts Etc uh, Join all the social media groups There's groups on pretty much any social media platform You can think of And a wikia If you want to look into the origins Of any of the runner jokes On the show
1: And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine with Daddy Issues. You're really making this a dream to edit, Ben. Thanks. Three, three, <laughs> two, one. Maximumfun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.